Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is a show that goes where? Deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am Scott Goldfine, your host, musicologist, and author of Everything's on the One, The First Guy to Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be glad you did. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, I thank you very much for your continued interest and support. This episode features singer, composer, producer Osiris Marsh. A few of you will know who he is. Some will realize who he is upon further explanation, while the majority will be unfamiliar with Mr. Marsh. The hope is that this show serves as an eye-opener to most and a much too long overdue tribute to those fortunate enough to have heard this man's music in the past and answer the question, whatever happened to Osiris? Osiris is a Washington, D.C.-based band led by Osiris Marsh, whose 1979 debut album, Since Before Our Time, was one of the grittiest, original, and fantastic funk albums of the 1970s, the holy 1970s decade being one of the best, very impressive indeed. Released on Warner Brothers Records, the hard-hitting set featuring Marsh's gravelly, soulful and gripping vocals came out at a time when disco had chop-locked funk at its knees and the 1980s was ushering in overly slick, watered-down, and mechanical R&B. Consequently, it came and went with scarcely a ripple on radio or the charts. However, opening with the pounding Gaiman, and among other gems, adding the bubbling What's the Use and the bouncy Consistency, which was Osiris's only single to ever chart, the Egyptian-themed packaged album oozed and pulsated with greasy, low-down funk and soul. Think Sly Stone meets Grand Central Station meets Gil Scott Heron meets Parliament Funkadelic, but yet retaining enough of its own character and stamp so as not to become too derivative of its source inspiration. At the time, gaming was the cut that alerted me that I had to immediately find the wax that that ferocious funk resided on. Astoundingly, Gaiman was not even released as a single. Core members of this amazing band, which include bassist Tyrone Brunson, who would go on to solo success with 1983's Sticky Situation and Smurf, also appeared on Osiris's 1977 precursor album, Let It Through, under the name The Family. Their rare album's opening tune, Music, bears some LTD influence. As Osiris, the group would not only release, uh, well, actually, they would only release two more independent label albums, Ozone and 1981's Osiris the Band. Both are well worth seeking out. Ozone opens with the tremendous funk track, Fantality, which is a mixture of reality and fantasy, Fantality. And the funkadelic-like scene will is not to be missed, with the rest of the set offering an eclectic song mix. Of particular note is that, as they shared the same management, the record includes contributions from the P-Funk camp, with none other than Fred Wesley, Maceo Parker, and the rest of the Horny Horns, as well as Jerome Braley on drums. Osiris the band opens with the insanely hot funk group, Rid On It. That was Osiris's last full-length album, Although Marsh did release a 12-inch single in 1986 called War on the Bullshit that is as hard-hitting and epic as it sounds. In 2008, the compilation The Best of Osiris thankfully became more widely available 
It's a 14-track collection that's a great place to start for the uninitiated or those unable to find any Osiris in digital format. The real exciting news is that this great artist is still available and willing to share his story with truth and rhythm. Here, the exceedingly gracious and good-natured singer talks about his vocal group beginnings, the path to Osiris the band, the harsh realities of the record business, his uncompromising commitment to creating music from the heart, and why he feels blessed rather than bitter, and what might be up next. I would be remiss without extending special thanks and gratitude to two important people involved in making this episode possible. One is Maria Granditsky, well-known in the social media world and through her website and pseudonym, Miss Funky Fly. Thank you, Maria, for your support, love, and commitment to the funk, and also for having what I believe to be the only in-depth biographical information Osiris Marsh found anywhere on the internet. Thank you also to Osiris's daughter, Africa, for helping coordinate this interview. And with that, it's time to get some grit on it with Mr. Osiris Marsh. It is a pleasure to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Spaceship, a man who, in my opinion, is truly one of the most unjustly overlooked funk artists of the late 70s and early 1980s. Singer, songwriter, producer, Osiris Marsh, whose band Osiris recorded some tremendous, yet tragically, little-known songs. That is an unfortunate situation that we're looking to remedy here on Truth and Rhythm today. Osiris, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm grateful, sir. Thank you so much, you know, for, you know, checking me out. I was, I'm glad I was able to pick up on your radar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was a pleasure. I'm, I'm very glad. Thank you, sir. Well, I'm trying to do, uh, you know, funk aficionados out there a big favor who may not, you know, know you because, you know, once they hear some of that music, they're going to be a fan. I guarantee it. Amen. Bless your heart, sir. Thank you, sir. So uh, thanks again for joining me. And um, you're coming to us from uh, D.C., correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's where you've always been, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, this is my, um, you know, raised up here. You know, got into the music scene and everything, you know, from my youth on up. You know, it's quite a few, few things I did uh, right before I got with the Osiris Band, you know. So, um, you know, ask away and I'll... Uh, I'll elaborate the best that I can. Fantastic. Well, let's kind of turn the clock way back, Osiris, and talk about, you know, did you grow up in a musical environment? How did you first get into music? And, you know, kind of get us up to, uh, you know, maybe when you first started getting in bands. Yes, sir. I had a fabulous family. You know, my moms, you know, my aunts and everybody did great. My uncles, and they did music. You know, they listened to music. You know, they don't, they weren't professionals per se, but um, crazy enough as it is, you know, they had the uh, group called the Cruises uh, way back. You know, they came by, they recorded for Philadelphia International and, um, you know, they're from way back and they were associated with them. You know, my aunt, you know, was a friend of theirs in a group called Heartbeats, you know, so vocal groups used to come by in my youth, you know. I first sang my song, you know, uh, Jesus Loves Me, you know, in the church, you know, I was five years old, you know, but then after that, you know, everything was based on, you know, the environment. Like I said, my aunts, they were just fabulous. And my uncles, you know, they loved to sing and we always had a party, you know, and so uh, we would entertain each other all the time. 
you know. So that's what just got in me. And I just love music, you know. It was just something about it, you know. I love beautiful singing, you know, and uh, just felt good. I love music. It was important to me. I guess I can elaborate more. <laughs> well, well, how'd you, uh, you know, actually start getting into performing? I was uh, 14 and I, uh, this group was getting together because I always performed for the family, you know, and like I said, we performed for each other and uh, just always had a good time. And around 14, these young men came, came around, they heard me singing and I sang bass for them and we went into a talent show and, uh, you know, it was, it was one first place, you know, we had a ball. And uh, from that point, you know, uh, we only did the few things, you know, and then I joined a group called the Stridells when I went to high school. You know, I was in junior high when I did the thing uh, with the Romantics, that was the name of the group. And then I got to uh, high school and uh, we formed a group called the Stridells. And I sang bass, you know, as I sang bass in the uh, first group. And, you know, me and the guys, we just had a, you know, we just loved music. Scott, it was like, it was at a time, you know, that it was a joy. You understand me? You know, the joy doing music, it was a joy singing. You know, we had all the beautiful songs, all the songs, of course, a few of them had just a dance song, you know. Uh, but all of the songs primarily had meaning and had depth. And, you know, a lot of effort was put into it. And we just, I just loved it. So the Stradells, we did the thing. We hooked up with a young man called Max Kidd. We won first place at the Eastern High School. And uh, Max Kidd came by and he heard us, you know, and he uh, he dug it, you know. So he signed us to his label, Event Records. And we lasted for a little while. You know, we did that. We did a thing called, I remember Christmas. And it was that, that experience that took me up to uh, you know, New York, you know, took me down to Atlanta, you know, at that age. Uh, the first group that we got signed after Yvette, he got turned, he turned it over to Curtin, Curtis Mayfield's label, you know, so we got distributed through that, you know. But um, like I said, Max was doing his thing at the same time, you know, so we just happened to be on the fringe with that, you know. He had a group called Form Outside, so his focus was more on them. And it was, it was okay. Now for those those who don't know, Max um, went on to be sort of the uh, I don't know if you want to say Godfather or Guru, whatever of Go Go. Right? Yeah. Yes, yes, so the Go Go thing, you know, uh, here in DC, you know, he uh, he got behind it and he pushed it and made a movie and everything, you know. He took it, you know, he took it big, you know. He was, he was something else. Max did, legendary, you know. He was a good friend, you know. He was a wonderful man. And uh, so we, we had, a, he had a partner named uh, Bob Morgan, you know, so we would, Max for a minute, while Max was doing his thing with Four Miles High, we hooked up with Bob and we did another song, uh, The Power of the Dream, you know, the Stradales. And, uh, you know, then from that point, you know, we just continued on. Uh, we left that, we went to Woodstock while we was with uh, Bob, you know, and met the uh, boy, uh, I forgot his name, Grossman. You know, we made back then, you know, and uh, we did a few songs for him and everything. But it was difficult for people to conceive because we were a vocal group. And then we up there doing Jimi Hendrix and so forth and, uh, you know, Three Dog Night. You know, <laughs> you know so the you know, musical thing was expanded from that point. Through, you know? Well, so what would you uh, kind of closestly align the Stridells to? Was it sort of like an Isley Brothers kind of thing? Um, or was it, you know, more like a Temptations kind of thing? Or what, you know, what was it? 
it was crazy because nobody else was doing it like us at that time, right? We were a cold-blooded vocal group when it was needed. And so we didn't have the instrumentation, nobody to really take the music in the place that was right there with us. We had to get into you know, developing those songs ourselves in terms of being vocal groups. So we just had to pick songs and we just had to have, we had an affinity for this good music. Three Dog Night, Jimi Hendrix, those songs were just great. And they were more than that. So it was hard to pigeonhole me. You know what I mean? You know, how, how, many, how many singers was there in the group? I'm sorry. How many singers in the group? Five. Fine. Yes, sir. We had the first tenor, you know, the record, the first tenor, you know, two leads, you know, background of baritone and then the bass, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I switched over to lead on the uh, Jimi Hendrix stuff, you know. I, I just love music, you know. So that's what happened with that. And uh, so we rolled that for a moment. And, uh, you know, then we, uh, you know, we left uh, Bob and we got back and we still tried to do our thing a little bit because, like I said, business was a certain kind of way. And so we kind of broke up, you know, and then after we broke up, you know, we floated around, did a few things for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, different people. We didn't get back together, the Stradels, you know, we did not get back together. You know, I began to, I hooked up with a vocal group called The Deacons. So I'm still vocalizing, doing choreography and everything, loving it. But how old are you at this point, uh, Osiris? Um, I was uh, 17, 18, 19, you know, around that, around that age. And uh, this happened, like I said, doing the doo-wop, you know, because I just had a, a, this love for good music. See, Scott, I had, in growing up, my mother, you know, right, she had just a variety. She played everything, Frank Sinatra, Lou Rawls, okay, you know, Nat King Cole. I was under all of those influences, you know, and at the same time, all of the blues singers, you know, B.B. King and everybody, Quincy Jones and his orchestration. I just love good music. And I was fortunate enough to have the kind of family, my moms and my aunts and everybody that just loved music too. So I didn't get into no one particular thing. I guess that was my path, right? To absorb everything. You know? Did it distract you from uh, your studies from school? Um, <laughs> great question. <laughs> Cause I did have to graduate early. <laughs> I did graduate. I did my studies, but I had to cap them up and get out early. You know, I graduated a year early, you know, so <laughs> so I could focus on my music, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, so we were there with that. And um, a lot of it was um, uh, later on, like I said, after the deacons and everything, you know, I was kind of like floating, you know, because I, I was working, I stopped working and everything because my philosophy, you know, was and is, if you're going to do something, do it all. So I had to put everything that I had into it because I felt like, you know, if I put 100% in, I'm going to get 100% back. You know, whatever I receive back from the music, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied. You know, what? all of me into it. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, um, so what was the uh, local music scene like at that point? And did you watch anyone locally sort of rise up and become successful? Uh, not really. I was a part of that. You know, like I said, I was 15 and we had Kurt Tom. So we was one of the most, you know, featured acts, you know, uh, in the D.C. area at that particular time, back then, you know, in the late 60s, you know. So nobody really rose up per se, but, uh, you know, that was a, in my environment that, you know, that went on. Marvin was already gone. He was a big star, you know, uh, Marvin Gaye, you know. So he was already a big star and everything, you know. So, you know, in my area during my time, 
the scene was vocal groups, singing young men. Okay, it was a lot of singers over here in DC with that, you know, but the vocal group scene was heavy in the 60s. And then uh, we started self-contained units start coming about in the 70s. You know, so you would get a one or two singers, you know, which is what I ended up being with a group called Destiny. You know, we hooked up, it was two guys, you know, great singers, you know, a, a young man named Calvin Graves, um, you know, a young lady named Veronica Martin and a young lady named Willa Peters. You know, we was doing the same type of thing as, uh, you know, uh, Fifth Dimension and uh, Friends of Distinction, you know, and at the same time, you know, you had us doing some of Larry Graham stuff, you know, that type of thing. We got signed to uh, Van McCoy's label, you know, um, well, I'm sorry, not this label, but through him, did a song, So Much Love. And we got signed to RCA, you know, but then that was another trip, right? Because <laughs> they put us on that, you know, but really what the promotion and everything wasn't there because the focus was on another group, you know, that they were doing, you know, so everything works out, you know, for the better. So I was there with that, you know, we did that. And then I was find myself floating again, you know, and just uh, hooking up with musicians and a musician named Macy O'Bond. Young man could play anything, Scott. He could play anything, classical pianist, right? And he could play the nastiest funk, okay? You know, to the sweetest grooves, right? Anything that I came up with, he could play it. He was a genius, you know, and he co-wrote a lot of songs with me, you know, great young man. And then we had some other people, you know. And how, how, did you how did I beat him? He came to an audition uh, when we were doing a thing with uh, with George Parker. You know, he came to the audition then uh, for the group Destiny. George Parker was the one that put it together. I learned a lot from him. You know, he was a uh, you know great producer, vocal. You know, so you know those are my studies. I didn't have a formal training. I had experience in dealing with different producers and everything. You know, so that's where I got my training from. You know. Absolutely. It was in my system, Scott. You know, it was in my system. Everything that was that was good, you know, see, I had no direct um, influences because I was everything beautiful, you know, that I, I just enjoyed everything beautiful and took everything in, you know. And you know, when you enjoy things, at some point within yourself is going to manifest. Right, you know, it's gonna comes out, you know, and that's what happened with me, you know, with uh, no direct influences, it's just all that good music just came part of me, and I just incorporated everything that I've ever learned, you know, with that. And I was a sponge, you know, I was taking in everything, you know, the business aspect and everything, because later on I had to branch off and do my own label if I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, keep on stroking, and that's what I did, you know, later on. Uh, after we did the thing with uh, Destiny, you know, then I hooked up again, you know, with the band, who my back, you know, through Destiny, uh, Ty Brunson on bass, great people, you know. Then I hooked up with this young man, Ron Holloway, fantastic sax player, and he's underrated, okay? You know, he should definitely have his uh, have his word out there. How did you meet uh, those two cats? They came about uh, with the people that we were dealing with, you know, they just heard about us rehearsing and doing the thing and they enjoyed, you know, people told them that, you know, I was doing a thing over there, you know. Um, I didn't look at it as, as no biggie, but they enjoyed what I did, you know what I mean, you know, so, because I can't be, one thing I just want to preset this with, I never competed with nobody because I respected everybody, but I made sure that I gave it all that I had, 
you know, when it came down to the music, you know. So when they told me that they was digging what I was doing, I was saying humbly, okay, because there's no way in the world I could be right there tripping, Scott, okay? Because, you know, the creator would bring forth anybody to kick your backside any moment, you understand me? <laughs> so I had to make sure that I was respectful and, and kept my cool and being humble with dealing with him, you know. So, but I had to give, give the dynamic. I love music, great musicians. They all came and kind of flocked together, so to speak. You know, uh, it was like a, it was natural, you know, where we came about, you know, so it was it was just wonderful, you know. And uh, then we formed a group called the family. Ty knew a young man uh, named D Stewart, you know, he happened to be Billy Stewart's uh, cousin. You know, then he had a group out APB, you know, they're doing some things. And then the group we called the family, you know, and uh, it was a self-contained unit. You know, it was me on vocals, you know, Ty would pitch in and we had no other background, you know. Uh, situation with us and uh, it just worked you know we did an album with them called the family it did very well in Japan again you know overseas right <laughs> I think overseas they love Osiris right what year approximately was the family record oh cheapest cheapest um oh boy I did say approximately 74 70 I'm sorry say it again I said I did say approximately see <laughs> Yes, sir. 74, 75, around that way. You know, around that area. You know, so what uh, we did, 75, 76, as a matter of fact, you know. So, uh, you know, the family formed and we just gave it everything that we had. Um, everything that we had because it was a beautiful time. You know, of course, later on, you know, when uh, disco came in, you know, that kind of changed things a little bit, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, performances and everything. But we had a blues band that could play everything, uh, Scott. We just loved the music. And we did the thing. We got with uh, the young man, Dee Stewart, on uh, on the family album, let it through. But then again, you know, management, you know, went a certain kind of way, you see, you know. And uh, I felt like, you know, we make an agreement when doing something, you know, let's stick to the agreement. You know what I mean? You know, because you got all of me. You feel me? You got all of me, you know, but then they started talking sideways, you know, so we had to, you know, disband that because I didn't feel like it was worth it, you know. I wanted to just do something that was really complete, you know, and thorough on my end. What what was the sound like of that family record? Because I haven't heard it. Was it, oh, yeah. was it funk or, or soul or a mix? Or yeah, what? but that's that's the thing. No particular formula. It was like blues funk. It was cold blood of funk, funk, and I had a couple of pretty songs on there, you know what I mean? You know, some of the beautiful songs, but it did not fit the mold of the formula that music was set out, you know, at that time people were trying to do. They was trying to get it too formulaic, formulaic, you know what I mean? You know, too much uh, pattern. You see, you know, if you do this, that's how you got to do this. You know, if you do that, that's how you got to do it. And I did not agree. You know, as a matter of fact, I had a conversation with Leon Ware, you know, when I was in uh, you know, L.A. And he, you know, admired the fact that the way that we did our chord structures, you know, major and minor chords. And he said, I love the way that y'all are able, you know, to mix that because a lot of people can't do that, you know. So I definitely didn't pay a great attention in terms of like, you know, the formula of how to do funk. I just felt like you just had to be nasty and gritty, you know, and do it the way that it's supposed to be, you know. And as long as it's pleasing unto the ear, you know, then it would be okay, you know, so. That's what that was. Did, did you um, do any performances with any name acts uh, as part when, when you were the family? No, sir. 
you know, sir, the family didn't do a whole bunch, you know. It wasn't until later that we did the um, thing with Osiris, you know, before we got signed with Warner Brothers, you know. Uh, we did some things, you know, with Ward, you know, and um, um, Hiroshima, you know, and so forth. You know, a few, few of those kind of groups, you know, it was hard getting gigs back again, but it was okay. But the people enjoyed this guy, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, so they had a good time. I mean, we had a good time, you know. It was just hard trying to deal with the purity of the music. The business kept coming into play and would take away, you know what I mean? You know, from the, you know, the, from the fun, from the spirit of the music, you know, and I would did my best to try to maintain that good music, you know, just good music. Did you get any support locally with the family? Like, did any of the radio stations give you any love? Um, it was DC was it's kind of uh, kind of different, you know, because we didn't do the, the shows like every weekend, you know. A lot of groups do that, you know. They do every weekend. They do shows at different clubs and everything, you know. We didn't necessarily do that, you know, uh, but we did have support, you know, from uh, you know, from the people in DC. Uh, but um, like I said, you know, business gets into the situation, and a lot of times it kind of strangles, you know, the artistic, you know slide so you really got to be strong oh yeah yeah um okay well you have the nucleus though together of the incredible band that you'd carry forward so what oh. happened from the family uh to osiris me and maceo and ty you know uh, we kind of stayed together you know um i got a young man in named tony jones bad bass player you know got a young man in named uh kenny jones that was his brother you know Great drama, you know. And then, like I said, Ron Holloway had a young man, Keith Stuckey. And see, our main purpose, the reason why I enjoyed it, because we wasn't doing it behind, we got a show here, we got a show there, we got to do this, we got to do that. No, we loved to create good music, you see. And that's what got us together, you know, and we stayed together. And then we ran into a young man that heard it. And he loved it, you know, uh, DM Jones, and uh, they hooked up, you know, with, uh, got a young man named uh, uh, David Sherbo, you know, he came on by, he checked it out. And then from that point, then they hooked up with, you know, backstage management, you know, and then they came by, we did a performance for them, you know, and then they said, hey, we got to be cool, y'all. And then a week later, we signed to Warner Brothers, you know, but uh, we had put in, you know, we would work all the time, practicing all the time. You know, uh, like, you know, like practically all day long, Scott, you know, just uh, did, because we love good music. How, how long did it take you guys to put together that record, the, those songs? Um, see, we worked all the time. So it was like uh, within, you know, two to three weeks, you know, we put together different songs because it's all we did. You know what I mean? That's all we did. And we had a certain feeling that was involved, you know, in terms of the way we interacted with each other. You know, we very, everybody was totally cooperative, you know. It's, it's hard to not emphasize the part about the fact that we just love good music, you see, you know. And everybody just, you know, it was the spirits, guy, you know, that brought that thing together. You know, we was we wasn't, later on we was able to get paid, you know what I mean, you know, we put everybody on salary, you know, but that was after they put in the grit and the dedication, you know, and then things came around a certain kind of way. And it's hard to find that now. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Um, how did you get the name? When and how did you get the name Osiris? And if you don't mind giving what your birth name was? Yeah, right. Well, 
<laughs> okay, well, I try not to emphasize, but on my birth name, you know, but the name of service came to me, okay, you know, if I was in high school. So I use it since high school, you know. Um, it, it just hit me, you know, I heard it, I heard the name, and then my response is, you know, boom, you know, that's primarily that's me, you know what I mean? So I, you know, I, I adopted the name. And uh, this, you know, history from that point on, I kept it, I used it for everything, you know, my birth name, you know, I just put that on the side, you know, and I was <laughs> with Osiris Marsh, you know. So, <laughs> if you don't mind me not, uh, you know, not dwelling, because those who know me probably wouldn't know that anyway, you know. <laughs> but everybody, 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 my whole family, everybody calls me old, you know, so. Yeah, they call you anything for short? Oh, just old. Yeah, um, yeah, they don't go back to that birth name at all. You know, yeah. either Osiris or O. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did notice there's definitely a lot of creative and interesting names in your family. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, like you know, the uh, if you look at my album on, on the family, you know, my name is there. You know, and it shouldn't be. You know, but it's there. You know, so. It's like those Easter eggs in in DVDs today. Right. Okay. <laughs> hidden, hidden yes, sir. Um, well, um, so what were you like in the studio? How did you conduct your business recording in the studio? I made sure the band was in order. You know, uh, on the first album and on my third album, I did all of the vocals myself. You know, so, but uh, I made sure the band was straight. We were running stuff down. I do the rough track, the lead track. You know, and we get everything in order, get, you know, song accents, everything down. And then after everything, then I will come back and sometimes redo the lead and then do all of the background, you know, by myself, you know. Except for the second album, I had a young lady named Jill Wells, you know, who helped out, you know, great voice. You know, so her and I did all of the vocals. But then on my third album, you know, I did all the vocals again myself. But it was the same formula. You know, we would get tight in rehearsals first. We would know everything first before we get to the studio. And then once we got to the studio, because we weren't working on no kind of budget before, you know what I mean? <laughs> so getting to the studio, we had to make sure we in and out, you know, that was the way we operated, you know? So we just put everything we had into that in those rehearsals, you know, intense. And then we did it. And then after we get into the studio, then, you know, like I said, it'd be executed. And then I would do all the vocals and, you know, what kind of aspirations did you have, you know, going into that first album? You know, what, where did you hope and see yourself going in the music business? That's a good question, you know, because as oddly as it is, and I know a lot of people say, no, 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 everybody, when you're in business, you're trying to be a star, blah, 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 blah. No, I wasn't trying to be a star. All I wanted to do was participate. I felt like I had something to offer. I always gave props to everybody else. You know what I mean? You know, when we're doing the thing, anybody great, I would always just salute it, you know, and I would just give props to it, you know, because I'm always learning, you know, and I was always learning the whole time, you know, all those great singers out there, there's no way in the world. So I just wanted to participate and then hopefully I'll be able to make my living because I give it all I have. I would hopefully I'll be able to make my living, you know, doing that, it will return uh, but the creator has something different in mind in terms of the initial, 
You know, he took me to a point, you know, but then that was it, you know. But I never looked at myself as being a spouse guy. I always wanted to be a, a contributor, somebody who to participate and share my love for music with everybody else. Well, you know, the fact that your heart and spirit and mind were in the right place is just totally evident on that first record. I'm going to go into it a little deeper here so viewers are more familiar with it. So if you, since before our time, the record that you put out on your own and then was picked up by Warner Brothers yes, sir. in 1979, led off with the fierce track, Gaiman, which yep. is um, the, the first exposure I had to Osiris. Yes, and uh, that's all I needed because I was already a funk fan. Yes. To hear that, you know, I was like, whoa, who is that? <laughs> yes. And uh, especially in 79, because a lot of the funk, it already started to kind of soften in its edge by then because of disco. Absolutely. And you were still coming so raw and hard with it. Yes, sir. I was just like, this is what I need. <laughs> um, but the record also had uh, a lot of other great tracks, including Consistency, which yes. was a single. Yes, sir. Um, What's the Use? Yes, sir. That's just a badass funk track. That's awesome. Um, it ends with Damn, which is sort of like a really extended almost like an epic suite kind of piece. Yes, sir. Very ambitious. Yes, sir. Um, and, you know, your music definitely had its own distinct style, but I guess the closest things I can equate it to, for me, were maybe like a little bit of uh, Graham Central Station and maybe a little bit of Gil Scott Heron with Brian uh -huh. Jackson. Oh, okay. I can see that, sir. You know? I can see that. I can see that. So that's good, good company. That's good company, very good company, sir. <laughs> yes, sir, very good company. Yeah, so um, congratulations on just an end-to-end -end classic in my mind. That's your heart, sir, and I appreciate that. You know, because all I wanted to do was give it all that I got. You know, because one of the other cuts, you know, almost never gets there. You know, either you do or you don't, you know, and that's the main thing, uh, my theme, you know, either you do or you don't. You know, you push it, you give it everything that you got, and then let things fall, you know, as they may. I was I was very surprised to find out that Consistency was the only one put out as a single. I thought for sure Gaiman must be a single. I know, I know, I know, I know, but Warner Brothers uh, had something else in mind, and that was the primary thing that happened with us. You know, I understand with record companies, I understand that they put out the money, you know, you understand me to promote you and they're doing this and the other. I understand all of that. And they want to make sure that they get their return. I understand all of that. But we had made an agreement. You see, when they picked up the album, they had made an agreement. Then after we made the agreement, then they tried to switch up on me a little bit, you see, you know, with the agreement. And that's why I had to back up, you know, and that was the reason why we split and then we went on to, uh, you know, the Marlin Records. You know, but it's the same type of thing it was the Prince said later on. That's what he had to put slave. You know, you know, but I split before that. You know what I mean? You know, when I saw it coming, you see, you know, and I was all right with that, you know, because if I had stayed, I would not have been able to put the other songs out, you know, that I had in mind, you know. So everything was like Warner Brothers would be a good home because at that time they did have Grand Central Station, yes, they, they had a uh, Funkadelic, yes. they had they had a uh, Bootsy, they yes. had um you know, all these other like really good funk R&B acts. They did, that's right, that's right. right. So it seemed like a good place for you. Well, they, they wanted me to stay in terms of just doing straight straight funk, but I've never been all the way that way. I do that because everything I do, I feel like it's funky. 
Yeah. You know, everything, even when I do the mellow songs, I get that thing underneath, you know, or if my lead is going to be a certain kind of way, I attack it with a certain amount of power and power, you know, grit, you see, you know. So I felt like all of that was involved because I really felt like people deserve to have a variety. I'm used to having that variety, you know, when I was growing up, you know, on the album. Not every song sounded alike, you know, even though they good songs. Understand me, I'm not knocking nobody. I appreciate everything that everybody does. I respect everybody. You know, in terms of what they do, you know, but in terms of for me, I just felt like we needed, you know, people should have that opportunity to say, you know, here's some good funky stuff and here's the next mellow song and so forth. But Warner Brothers wanted me to keep everything straight. And then later on, that's what Prince's point, he said, cookie cutter. They try to get him to be that way too, you know, so. Right. But that was, that was, that was on Warner Brothers, yeah, right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and it was trying to get me to, you know, to go there, you know. But uh, you know, I, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't compromise that because I know that I was giving good music. You know, yeah. if I didn't know what I was doing, that I was saying I needed some help. I understand that, you know. But I knew what I was doing in terms of just the music part, the craft. I'm in love with the craft. <laughs> it does. I mean, God bless you for not compromising because. There's so many other uh, acts at that time that totally compromised and like really lost their core fan base by doing so. They kind of, you know, sold their soul for lack of a better term yes. uh, to the to the business. Yes. And um, you know, you hate to see that. Yes. You're <laughs> so, right. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, but your lyrics too were. You know, talk to me about your your lyrical content and also the. Um, the concept, you know, with the Egyptian uh, thing and, and all that, where'd that come from? Yes, sir. Well, we just incorporated the Egyptian, you know, part of it, you know, with the life, because that's all that Osiris is about is like life, see, you know, enjoying this life, understanding this life. And the lyrical content, I wanted to make sure that everybody just has some substance. You know, I feel like you could party and still have some substance, you know. I don't knock, like I said, I don't knock nobody, you know, but as far as on my end, you know, I think we just needed some make sure that I put something on, you know, my mind as well as you were with listening, you see, you know, just have something to contemplate, feed the soul too, more so than just the body, you know, and the party, right? You know, so, you know, that was a lyrical content with that, you know, and then everything worked around, you know, it is a little spiritual edge with in terms of the Egyptian, you know, but, um, you know, but that's that's as far as that goes, you know, because there's only one creator, you feel me? You know, and so we got to do everything through him, you know, and everything is good, you know, but that is just an understanding that felt good here, you know, with what we have to do and everything, you know, just putting everything into perspective, making sure that we have something on our mind, that's all. Want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you feel a certain kinship to, like, uh, say, like, Earthland Fire, Maurice White got heavy into the Egyptology? Um, with a lot of his stuff, did you feel sort of a connection or just not? No, sir, I did, um, especially towards the end, because I was already doing the Egyptian thing, you know, with everything the fire hit, you know, head to the sky and everything, you know, that was, you know, the flower child and all of that. It would be beautiful songs now, you know, but the Egyptian thing didn't come into play with them until later. So I did feel, you know, a kinship, you know, as far as that was concerned. Uh, just good music. You know, it has some body, it has some substance to it, you know, that's all, you know. So I did feel that kinship, sir. You know, and uh, like right now we have a Black Pyramid Records, 
You know, that's the name of my, I'm independent again. I guess you can see that I'm always the outcast, right? <laughs> Play by your own rules. Yes, sir. Exactly, sir. <laughs> you know, I'm cooperative. You know what I mean? I'll cooperate with anybody, right? You know, but just you know, just be of our word, right? If I say something, I'm going to follow the through. You know, so we make an agreement, we make an agreement. That's all I ask, you know. <laughs> it's everything is good. Well, I want to point out these uh, other great records, too. So um, yes. your follow-up after that one was Ozone. Yes, sir. Which was pretty soon after, I, you know, I guess because it took a while for Warners to pick it up and put it out, so it seemed like they were closer together than they probably were in your actual creation of them. Yes, sir. But, um, you know, that, that record, Ozone, starts off with the phenomenal fatality. Um, to me, it's sort of like P-Funk meets Sly Stone. I understand. I understand. Can't help but to have, like I said, respect for them guys, man. Okay? You know what I'm saying? And the student is never above the teacher. So I'm always sitting back and I'm you know, checking them out. Sly, George, and everybody. Fantastic people. You know, fantastic people. Yeah, you actually had P-Funk guys on this. You had the Fred Wesley, Amicio, the Horny Horn guys. Yes, sir. And also Jerome Braley. Yes, sir. So um, a lot of uh, fans of this show are, are huge into P-Funk, as you can understand. Yes. Yes. So talk to me about how that record came together and how you connected with those guys. My management company, Backstage Management, Mr. Vaseline and Strasden, you know, um, they did that for me. You know, they hooked up because they were managing, you know, George and them at the same time. You know, so they acquired those musicians for me. And uh, but I got with Fred, you know, Fred asked me, you know, if he could use, if he could just do those pretty songs that I had, you know, because he said he's always used to doing all of the, the funk stuff, you know, and I, I said, I understand, you know, because he did that stuff with uh, James, you know what I mean, you know, and with, uh, <laughs> with George and everybody, you know, it was just, you know, that type of thing, you know, that funky type of thing all the time. So he asked if he could do that. And I, you know, I accommodated him, you know, you know, yes, it'd be my pleasure. You know, because he's on these those beautiful songs, beautiful horns. And I feel like it would not interfere because we had enough funk on the other songs that I didn't necessarily did not necessarily need the horns, you know, to make the song, you know. So, you know, that's what I did with that. But it was it was a gas and Jerome came in and, you know, sat in on the drums, you know, on Fantality, you know, who uh, added, you know, what he does, you know. And uh, you know, it was it was it was a gas, but it came together all in New York. It was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, Eddie Hazel, before he passed, he was about to be doing some things for me, too. You know, so he was... Eddie Hazel what? Eddie Hazel, he was about to do some things with me also. Oh, oh that yeah. didn't work out. Yes, right, right, right. We could get around to it, you I know. Yeah. So, uh, and that was recorded where? Media Sound up there in New York. Okay. Yeah, so I believe, yeah, Media Sound, we did Media Sound and we did Hit Factory, but most of it was Media. Media Sound. That's way back, out of existence. <laughs> years ago, Scott. There's some other great tracks in here I want to call out. Um, See You Will, which is yes. great. Uh, it's got a rock edge, kind of a funkadelic Absolutely. vibe. Absolutely. Um, yes, sir. You and I, uh, to me, was like mellow and kind of a different side of Los Aires. Yes, sir. Uh, traveling salesman, very eclectic, kind of a Chicago style thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And uh, love in your heart, a real nice mellow kind of kind of thing. So yeah, yes, sir. Is there anything yeah. that comes to mind talking about those tracks? 
Yes, sir. The uh, the fact that the people, the audience, the world didn't get a chance to really, you know, enjoy. You know, that's what comes to mind with that, you know, because they should have been out there like that. But things just didn't go that way. Like I said, they wanted to lock me in, just do the funk, stay with the funk. And I understood that to a degree, but that's not what we agreed upon. You know, yeah. they knew I was doing a variety of music when they first picked me up. I didn't change. You know, but then they just tried to change me, you know, and I just couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't back up. Those beautiful songs, that's Fred on those on Love in Your Heart, you know, and for and Fred on, uh, you know, You and I, you know, you know, and uh, Ron Holloway on uh, Traveling Salesman, you know, doing that thing there, you know. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a beautiful time, Scott, you know. Beautiful music. Um, uh, thank you so much. Andrew Newman, Macy O'Bon and them, great people, man. Yeah, I mean. Um, it's my favorite horn section of all time. They're great. Uh, my son's named after Macia Parker. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and he's playing alto sax now. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a, you know, uh, his namesake is just a terrible dude. You know, no one played sax in the pocket like Macia. Isn't he great? Yeah. He's just something great, man. You know, this is something else, man. Make sure and creating them. Go ahead, sir. You know, when you're talking about this and that you would just stay in that funk uh, sort of like uh, slot, it's not only that, I think, Osiris, but you would not also conform to the sort of real sort of homogenized R&B sound that they were trying to do at that time also. Yes, sir. You're so right. Yeah. Yes, sir. You know, I just could not do that. You know, I felt like it took the ear to create the piano, you see? So I couldn't get into no formula, you know what I mean? You know, if, if it wasn't, you know, it's a net, music is a natural thing. And I felt like, you know, I was in a position to be able to make a difference as far as that was concerned, you know? And I just stuck to it and, and dealt with it. And, you know, my decision, I stood by my, by my decision and everything that came with it, you know, I'm good with, you know? It didn't prosper, it didn't go out there, you know, a certain kind of way, but I'm all right, you know, because I could sleep at night, right? Yeah. You know, in some ways, uh, it makes those records that much more special. Bless your heart, sir. Yeah. 